no i mean architecture is political we gotta we gotta add that stuff indeed we're tearing down communities to build multifamily, and you have to understand we are creating displacement you're displacing black and brown folks and they don't come back half of this podcast would be dedicated to the history of tyler house my journey and my discoveries and hey i'm gonna solve this housing problem hey guys what's up my name is melissa daniels this is the architecturalist political podcast where black and brown folks talk about architecture i hope you enjoyed this podcast and be part of my storytelling i celebrated a birthday recently and i didn't do much and i didn't want to do anything We just went to dinner and that's about it. I kept it pretty low key. I didn't brag about it at work or mention it to anybody. And whoever wished me a happy birthday, wished me a happy birthday. Via text, which I love. Don't don't call me. (laughs) I got a call from my mom and call from my sisters. That's what I needed. Prior to my birthday, I was reflecting a lot. And being the age that I am, it's kind of depressing. <laughs> I know that celebrating a birthday is a gift. Every day is a gift. But, you know, sometimes you wish you're 19 again, minus the drama. <laughs> but sometimes you wish you were just younger. And I remember being in my 20s, couldn't I fathom doubling that age? Could not phantom being 50 or 60 or even 30. Oh my gosh, 30. You can you can phantom that stuff. And now when you get that age, then you can't phantom being a decade older. And you don't expect things to change. Because you it's a period in time where you know your body, right? You know how you look. You know if I eat this, that'll happen. If I drink milk, I'm gonna be gassy for the rest of the day. I also started thinking about my career and the path that led me to where I am today and what that looks like tomorrow. So at the end of the year, around December time, me and a group of women get together and we plan out. I think we've been doing this for a couple of years and the group has grown a little. It's funny because I don't like to do the five-year look ahead. Even when we first started this, I was like, I don't want to do the five-year. And I haven't done the five-year look ahead in such a long time. I haven't. And I realized that when I did that and I write it down, I cut pictures out of a book and I do all this. I look at the end of the year or I put it away and I and I find it again. And the things that I want to accomplish, I haven't accomplished. Some of the running things are like losing weight. That's always there. Clean your room <laughs> or clean your house. Eat better. Those things like it's, it's always constant. Getting licensed. That's always constant with me anyway. With the other people, they are way ahead of me. They're awesome. They rock. But this year, I was okay. I didn't want to look five years ahead because I'll be five years older. That kind of depressed me because it's like you're getting to that age where you remember your mom the most when she's the age I am. 
And that's what happened. Like, I remember my mom being my age. And now I look at my mom, I'm like, at some point I will be her age. And, I, you know, it's, it's math, it's time. This is, how, this is how things work, right? But it feels different when you're there. And you remember certain things that your mother tells you or whomever. And this is, again, my perspective. I don't know who raised you. But I think you get what I mean when when you have someone that raised you, no matter who it is, whoever raised you, you remember their age at some point in time. And then you become that age and you start comparing. And I look at my career. The question is, like, what what do you want next? And I'm like, I don't know. I started to write a list of things that I don't want. And that don't want became, okay, well, I don't want this, then I want that. I want work-life balance. That's what I want. And before I was career, career, career. Now I realized within my own confidence, right, that I can achieve that. I can be my own CEO. I can't do all architecture things, but I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm weak at. And I know that the things that I'm weak, I can learn how to do that, be good at it or okay with it. Can't be good at everything. That's what I believe. When you're looking for a new job, and at least I'm using me, of course, as a reference. When I look for a new job and I do the whole interview thing, I had this experience where I wanted this particular job and I talked to some people, but the timing was off. I actually wanted to stay at my old job to finish off a project. So when I went back to them, I did a couple of rounds of interviews and they decided not to take me. And at the end, they're like, you know, good luck and get your license. I was hurt by that because I was not expecting not to get the job, but I didn't. And the kicker was, oh, yeah, and get licensed. I was just like, y'all knew my position. Right. You shouldn't be talking to me if you knew that I'm not licensed. Here's the thing. I'm a black woman. If you did not know, I am. And I'm very aware of the percentage of licensed black women in this country. And the point two percent trying to get it to point three percent black women in the United States licensed so you're telling me that you want 0.3 percent person working for you there's like 130,000 architects out there that's licensed licensed architects let's say 130 ballpark and you want to hire that 0.3 percent now you may be saying what's how many are there in general oh we don't keep those numbers But even if it's double, we're hitting almost 600 at this point. So 600 licensed architects that are black women, and I say double. So let's say that there's 1,200 total that graduated through architecture school, I guess we can say that. And at any given time alive, there's 600 flown around there working at firms. You want half of those people to be licensed. To work for you. I'm just amazed at that. I'm just amazed that you want the creme de la creme of this one person to work for you. 
I hope I'm not losing anybody when I say that. You have, not to say that this particular place didn't have any, because they do, but just like, are you for real? And I look at my accomplishments and what I can do. And I look at Terry's accomplishments and what she can do. And I'm like, why aren't people grabbing and like, hey, no, you're awesome. Come, we need you. I don't know. I'm feeling some type of way right now. And I just wanted to just get on here and just express my feelings. Because, you know, this interview, that's what it was. And I love Terry for that. I love the fact that she was completely honest. I love the fact that in this conversation, we, we touch upon so many things of her career and her passion. And just how we have to do a whole lot of stuff just to be average. She's not average at all. But to the outside world, she's average. And I see her as superior, as this force to be reckoned with. Her talents, oh my gosh, she's amazing. And I feel like, why is she getting awards? When I say giving, I mean like just someone knock on the door and like, hey, we want to honor you tonight. Here's some money and a giant ass award. Like that's what she deserves because, oh my gosh, the things that she's doing, you can't touch that. And she knows her worth from the jump. She knew, like she had a plan and she executed it. And we also talked about burnout. I think I'm I'm on the other side of it. And I'm like, I don't want to ever go back there because it's traumatizing. And I need to protect myself. And one way you do that is understanding what you want and what you don't want so that you know what you want. So one more trip around the sun for me. And I'm grateful for that. I have another 40, 50, 60 trips around the sun. And I don't know. And I feel like I'm also mourning the Melissa that once was. I don't know. Like, I tend to think about that, too. Because, again, I was just so into the firm culture and into, like, what we were doing at the firm and into all these things. And now... Like, I love my job. I love my current job, actually. I love it a lot. I love it a lot. And I'm grateful for the position that I have. But I think about those positions that I really wanted at the time, including the one that I mentioned. Like, I really wanted, I really wanted that job. I realized that it's like a relationship, right? You can't want somebody who doesn't want you. You can't pursue somebody who's just not interested, who's just not that into you. Because in the end, you'll get hurt and broken and you just wasted a bunch of time. And again, going back to Terry, because this is her interview, she seeked out and have mentors. And oh, I just, you guys will enjoy this interview because it's what I feel like it's an oldie but goodie that, you know, two girlfriends talking. Do I feel better? I came on here to talk my feelings out because I've been feeling a lot with this whole birthday thing and all. And until so I came on to, to do her introduction. <laughs> you guys gonna enjoy this episode. So here you go. Harry Watson, how are you doing today? 
I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I've been looking forward to this conversation ever since we met in Florida. Oh my gosh. I was like, who is this beautiful ball of energy? Who is this light that is approaching me? And then you told me, I didn't connect it to between you and the neighborhood architect and to find out it was you. I was just like, because you were so shocked. You yes. were so shocked that I ran up to you. Because you, I think I caught you right after you got done presenting. Or was it? Or you? I think you got done presenting. No, I literally got to the hotel. And I was like, let me go downstairs and be sociable. And then you were the first person that ran into me. Yeah, I fanned out. I was like, oh my gosh, this is Mel. Like, she's here. <laughs> so it was twofold. I was excited to see you in Florida. I meet you in person. I am a huge fan of you, your podcast. So yeah, it's definitely mutual. Yes, yes. And you know that I was not expecting Black people to be there. <laughs> I don't know why. I no, don't no, know no. why. But to see you and the whole BAM crew there, and I was just, yeah. I was just like, damn it, I wish I'd stayed longer if I only knew. Yeah, we have a very special community here, which makes South Florida pretty unique. We are, I would say, one of the very few, or if not the only, architecture community that has both NOMA and AI very much like intertwined, where everyone who's serving on a NOMA board or has served on a NOMA board will, you know, serve on the AI board either consecutively or before or after. And that's in like huge leadership, whether it's presidents, vice president incoming like elects like you just keep the ball rolling trying to keep those parameters and dynamics as mutual and as inclusive and aware as possible i think it's the only place that i've experienced or even seen this type of interaction um so yeah ai florida is very much like that all the time you get them coming in we make sure we do events so yeah it's, it's a mostly a shock to people when they come and, and yeah. see. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Like even DC doesn't do that. It's two completely separate things. It's, I think I, my own personal opinion, I, I believe it's a trust issue. Because I know when I served on the NOMA, DC NOMA board way back when, we had our own programming. We did our own thing. And then ever since the whole George Floyd thing happened, they were looking into more of an integration. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they'll achieve that greater and greater as time goes along. But yeah, like I was, I was like, what? <laughs> if I only knew, if yeah. I only knew, but next time. Yeah. Be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this conversation, I really want to focus on you and your brand and then zone in on the neighborhood architect. As you can see, I got my hood shirt yes, on. Yes, 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 <laughs> I am like a fan, like I said. And just the audience know, like I pay for my, this from out of my own coin. Like <laughs> She did, she did. When I see stuff, I just go and I don't ask. I just mm -hmm. like, oh man, because it's, it's a support thing. Like you said, you got to hustle hard and I got to recognize and, you know, yeah. support and support quality. Like if I didn't like it, I would not have been, you know, <laughs> would not bought it, no, I, but, you know. No, I appreciate it. I, I definitely do. I, I was like, I saw that name. I was like, Mel. I was trying to hide it too, but then I was like, I can't hide this. Because <laughs> she'll just look at me. No, yeah, I definitely saw it. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, so my name is Terry Watson. I am a architectural designer here in Miami, uh, originally from Houston, Texas. Uh, immediately after graduating high school, I moved to Florida. I attended Florida A&M University, so I am a Rattler, and immediately kind of got into like head down. I was very active at FAMU. And when I, you know, I was AIS vice president, AIS president, you know, I worked at AIA Florida, which is where a lot of that early AIA involvement came. And surprisingly, I did not want to go to grad school, but ended up going to grad school. I applied to one school and it was uh, uh, Florida International University where I got accepted. And I was head down focused uh, when I was in my master's uh, program. But I met my first African-American female architect who became my mentor and I started working with her. And she taught me immediately about the business side of things. She was like, start your own business now. And I was like, okay. So, you know, her reasoning behind that was because if there was any moment where I couldn't get an internship or anything like that, and I wanted to just like practice designing, practice working with someone or just like having a business relationship clients, I could do that as a designer, not as marketing myself as an architect or anything like that, but like just designs on things that I know how to do. And so, you know, I started doing that and then landed a, a pretty good position with a firm called uh, R&B Royal Bikovis here in Miami. And over a course of five years, I worked with them as a consultant under my business. And I worked on some very, very big projects, uh, got pretty good in the realm of like an emerging professional. I got a lot of opportunities very early and they were a great learning firm outside of what Juliana already taught me, my mentor, Juliana Tuma. She taught me how to work with the city right out of school. That was the best way to make me an asset to a firm because I wasn't going to be the design. It wasn't going to be the construction documents. It wasn't going to be any of that. It was sending emails, talking to the city, pre-online where you had to go in, get your permits, talk to people. Like That is what I became like really, really good at. And that's how I was able to a month after graduating, get a full-time position and a firm. So working with R&B taught me a lot. Um, they were, like I said, a great firm to come in as a graduate and emerging professional because they, the first thing they asked me was like, what is it that you want to learn? Like, what do you want to do here? And I told them that I wanted to learn construction documents because that is what I didn't know. Like it was still, you know, how that goes. You don't, it's like a whole bunch of lines, text symbols and it's like what is this but they really really taught me um they taught me how to be a project manager so I was going on site from like by myself got my first all the projects I was doing basically during that time they would pass on to me between SD DD all the way into closeout it was my project only it was three of us in the firm they handled either the business in or the schematics in and then everything else was on me and that is how I kind of been able to gather a lot of skills and acquired a lot of skills over the past four or five years that I was with them. So I then began to branch out, created my own firm and design studio, of course. And later on within this past like year, year and a half, I started working with Anson Stewart. I was 
project managing his projects. I'm currently working on the new Urban League Miami building here. I also had an opportunity and I'm working all these jobs at the same time, by the way. <laughs> um, but I also started uh, lead designer at Formula in Minneapolis. So I worked on a one of the largest designs to date for myself, which is the Southside Clinic, which was a, a new construction building that's actually a result from like the George Floyd situations that happened up north there. So I've had some pretty good opportunities as a architectural designer here. Recently awarded project manager of the year by AIA. So, you know, I've just I've had some very, very pivotal moments over the past, you know, I would say seven years after graduating with my master's. So now I've kind of taken a little pivot. I, I am a research assistant now um, in the architecture program, in the architecture like realm of things. So I'm now looking into a little bit of still designing, but it's more materiality, like how can we event and get uh, cheaper materiality out of a circular economy system. So right now I'm dedicating a couple of years to that and also learning robotics. I am in the robotics and fabrication lab. So yeah, I'm learning robotic arms, material science, and a little bit of 3D fabrication. Woo! <laughs> Girl, I thought I did a lot. That's a quick run through, a quick run through. <laughs> and that's just, that's just what you could remember that you were doing. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I want to go back. You said a couple of key mm -hmm. things. That entrepreneurship. Because mm -hmm. I know for me, that's difficult. I never thought architecture had that as an option. Like when I was in school, I always thought just, you know, I'll just work at a firm and progress through the firm. And that's my life. And I realized recently, like the past couple of years, that in order for Black people, Black and brown people to make it, you have to go on your own. And in the past, that's really how mm -hmm. we got to be leading the charge of things. Now it's changing. I see more these larger scale firms embracing yeah. us. But entrepreneurship, was that, did that freak you out? Did that make sense? What are your thoughts? It more so made sense. And I'll, I'll go through two pivotal moments where it, ended up making sense for me. So the first one was that while I was at FAMU, my very first mentor was Michael Lingerfeld. He was in 2011, a Florida president or something. So he was the first person I met that had an alternative career path. And so he did have his own architecture firm, but he was also Disney's Imagineer. So he gave a lecture at our, I asked him to help out and like also educate everyone that was in my class at FAMU. So we put on this event that was called Alternative Career Path. So that was my first introduction that you actually don't have to just go to a firm. He went through how that, how he was able to do that. So separate from kind of his architecture, traditional practice. Then when I met Juliana, who told me like, this is what she does as she is a single woman in business, running her firm, having interns here and there, that she continues her business by being having her own company, but consulting with firms that she's worked with before to help them out with projects. So in that realm, me, after graduating, I knew from even when I was in school that I never wanted to work for a large firm. It's not something for me. 
I don't like dressing up. I I like kind of, you know, <laughs> doing my thing. Like I like to be like, I really like to go through architecture like I'm in a studio. That is the best way for me to get things done, be able to be productive, stay in my creative mode, not feel like this, this actual profession, quote unquote, that I'm in. Right. So I knew that I never wanted to work for a big firm. And, you know, if you work for a small company, nine times out of 10, they're going to make you a 1099. They don't they don't want to pay for you as an employee because it's too much for them. So it made sense, especially for here in Miami, because they're definitely not going to pay for you if they don't have to. So as I got this position with R&B, I was a 1099 for them for like two years. And I used, even though I had my business on the side, I use that leverage. I was like, hey, so, you know, since I'm not going to be like an employee, can you all start writing my checks to you in studio? You know, just saves me with taxes. And they were like, sure. So that is how I was able to then broadcast like, yes, I have this. But for a very long time, for the first two years of working with them, I was just Terry Watson. But I was able to, again, as I say that it made sense because I was able to gain trust within them. They taught me a lot. Like I also wasn't their competition. Right. Like I was able to start bringing in projects, but projects that I wanted to do. And that they could, I could have their support on, but they knew that I wasn't going anywhere. Like, and they trusted me because they're the ones that actually really taught me how to do the, I was doing all the construction documents for the firm. So, you know, I had their assistance where if it was something that needed to be signed and sealed or anything like that, like I was under complete mentorship. So I wasn't just bouncing around out here under this entrepreneur realm. So because I was doing it as a architectural designer under their firm, I was also doing it under mine. It really did make it a little bit easier for me because of the broader networking that I was able to have. So not only did I have my social media presence, but I did really have an in-person field presence, whether because I was the only one going on site, because I was meeting these high-end clients, these high-end construction companies here, like I just built a big, big network. So it literally made sense for my path. And that is the same way how I got on with Anson Stewart at Stewart Architects. It was still under Yen Studio. Any firm that I'm working with, they're paying Yen Studio. So I was able to not have to search for clients because I had a consistent check Mm -hmm, (laughs) coming mm -hmm. in. So it was just a smart thing to do, um, but also kind of I could teach myself along the way because I was having projects outside of the two firms at the time that I was working with. So I'm trying to I'm still doing side projects, seeing how that money takes long to come in, come out, you know, like the understanding all of these things. So I was just teaching myself that little by little. But yeah, more so made sense. It, It was like once Juliana gave me that tip, like she'll tell you to this day, I'm the only one that took that advice, like all the other interns before me. Like they weren't listening, but, you know, it helped me a lot. I was able to kind of take a quick leap and get this, like my firm name out, even under these bigger projects that I was doing. So it literally just made sense based off of the path. I think the big key thing was trust because I've been to a lot of architecture firms, but I Mm -hmm. remember the very first one that I entered after graduating, they had like a moonlighting clause. Yeah, And that is so detrimental to us because Mm -hmm. the monies that they give us is nothing. 
when yeah. you're an intern, you're like, this is chump mm-hmm. change. Like, how am I supposed to live all this? And how are you supposed to know how a business works mm-hmm. if you're not allowing me to learn how the business works, right? right. Like, kudos to them for doing that with you. And I think there's a thin line there because the moonlighting clause only comes if you're an employee. And because I'm not an employee, you can't tell mm. me what I can and can't. So that was always a thought process behind me also never wanting to work for a large firm. You know, when you're in school, you hear so much negative. I mean, around our time, especially, you just hear so much negative things about the traditional practice. Like once you get in, you're going to only do this. You're only going to do a bathroom. You're only gonna... So I never wanted to go down that down that path ever. So I think I also not wanting to work for the firm, not want to be in like shackles. <laughs> I just I wanted to really be able to control my like how I can go through this profession and learn as much as possible. So I never was anyone's employee. Like so they could excellent point. Yeah. So they can't tell you if you're not an employee. Right. Because they don't own you. Exactly. You can let the contract is a year. After a year we can renegotiate or you can let me go. Like that Mm -hmm. that's a really good model. Like Mm -hmm. I don't understand why, you know, especially smaller firms who have their highs and lows, you know, when they're low, you have to lay everybody off because you have no work. Right. It makes it easier on everybody to say this is temporary. This is just as with everything, and especially in this field. It's temporary, you know, because the the next job isn't guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah, shout out to Juliana. <laughs> shout out to <laughs> shout out to her. Shout out to her because she def- that was a that was a good point. But yeah, no, it was definitely it made sense, especially with what I wanted. I mean, I tell people all the time. That may entrepreneurship may not be what you want. If you like working in bigger firms, if you want to move up in a company, then that side of being an entrepreneur may not be something you want to do right now. You may want to move up to see those models in something else before you try to branch off or something. But I think it's for those who have a specific intention in like where they want to go within their their architecture career. Why architecture? You know, architecture chose me. <laughs> I did not really? choose. Yes, it's a saying, like, architecture chose me. I did not choose it. So when I applied for FAMU, I applied to be in the journalism school. I applied, applied for commercial advertising art. Like, I wanted to do movie trailers. I wanted to edit. And there was only, like, one other moment in my life that hinted that I would go down the architecture path, whereas... I think I was, what, seventh grade? I think it was seventh grade. I drew the Alamo and my history teacher was like, you're going to be an architect just because of how detailed I drew this Alamo. I'm a drawer. Like that's my first tangible was like, I can draw everyone in my family can draw. So that's what kind of followed me. But she told me I would be an architect. And yeah, I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, okay. But yeah, I applied for commercial advertising art. My second one was fine arts because I'm also a painter. And then my third choice was architecture. And they put me in architecture (laughs) because the program, the um, commercial advertising art department at closed that year I was coming into FAMU. So they put me in architecture. And when I say, you know, of course, you know, they throw you right in studio first year. 
And I was the only at that time in my section, because, you know, they'll break up studio into like multiple sections. So in that year, I was the only girl in my section. All these guys, they they were that's how far that's how long ago. Right. So they had prepared for their journey to start like they took drafting classes in high school and all this stuff. I had none of that. None of that. I was walking in deer in headlights, out of state, first generation college student, out of state. It was like, what am I doing? And so I think it was like halfway through the semester, you know, I had one of my favorite now favorite professors, Deborah LaGrasse. She's tough, though. She's, they put her in first year for a reason. She's tough. And we were sitting like presenting our models. We were at a long table and it was like her on one end, me on the other end and all the guys on the side. Right. And um, so it's finally my time to present. And I, I'm pretty sure I said some crazy stuff that made no sense because at the end of the table, she was like, do you know what you're doing? And I was like, yeah, like, <laughs> and I had no idea. And that moment, I was like, okay, yeah, no, you're not going to do this to me again. And so I hustled. I started to really like, okay, if I'm going to do this, like, let's do it. So by the end of the year, I was the best in that studio. Moving into second year, I got best student of the year. Third year, AIAS vice president. Fourth year, AIA president. During the time we were in, actually, I was president. We were the only... HBCU to go to South Coast Conference that year, and we won the design competition. So I was just like, I think it was that starting off at that bottom and was not going to stay there. So that's how architecture happened for me. And I, again, I, I am a planner. Like I, I do like to like, okay, if this is what I'm going to do this semester, this is what I'm doing next semester. So that started very early on, even with me trying to get internships. I made the decision because I, I had to work the entire time I was in school. So I had like a little mall job and I, I think it was around my, it was my second, it was second year. So second year, sophomore year, I decided that I was never going to work anything else outside of architecture. So Christmas break, this is when I started to learn how to get internships. I've never had a problem getting internships. And this is why, this is what I did. <laughs> so I wrote like a little paragraph. Hi, my name is Terry Watson. I am a second year looking for a paid internship attaches my portfolio and resume. I'm available between this days and this dates because most of the time it was like I'm going to break or summer. Feel free to reach out to me. And I would look through, I would Google like architecture firms in Houston if I was going home that summer or architecture firms, wherever. And I would go through each one. If I liked their website, that's what I would apply to. If their website was trash, I was not applying to them. And I wouldn't, I preferred to send it to the principal, like whoever the owner at that firm. I wasn't sending emails to like the info at da, da, da. No, I'm going to the source. So if they didn't have that info or if they only had an info, then I would call them and ask them if I could get the contact. I was like, I would be like, um, uh, trying to get a project, da, 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 you know, but that's like trying to get that contact. Because again, it's when you're in school, you hear all these things like it's going to be hard for you to get an internship. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm not going to wait around for everybody and then hop in the jump. I'm just going to go and find someone because, and you learn it really in the real world that, like you said, smaller firms, because I was only applying to smaller firms or like, you know, middle-sized firms and they don't have time or most of the time to post that they need, a, need you know, people or stuff like that. Like they're so busy. And so you never know, like your email will come when they may have a project that has just come. They're like, I need someone like not temporary or not full time or not long. Like you just never know when that email could come across at the right time. So literally, that's how I got my job with R&B. That's how I got my job with Juliana. That's how I got every single internship to the point to now I'm 
I'm sorry, I don't even have to do that. Like people reach out to me. So it's like early on, that's how architecture like blossomed for me. So yeah, I think I just got really determined uh, once that I got chose to be in this profession. I just never let go. I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm very good at craft. I like making models, you know, things like that. So it was, I think it was a perfect profession for me. I don't see, I cannot see myself doing anything else. So yeah, that's how, that's how architecture came about. When you said the website, if the website was trash, you wasn't (laughs) going to apply. Mm-mm. That right there is so key to a lot of things because I find that, especially with small firms, especially with us, right? I've come across mm-hmm. a lot of talented Black folks who doing their thing, but they didn't pay attention to the details like their website. Mm-hmm. And it says a lot about you as a firm when you don't do that. What does that in-house look like? I can't I have to. Exactly. Exactly. Even from the design to like the production, what does that look like? Like, am I still using pen and paper? Nothing wrong with pen and paper, but when you give me a sketch and then you don't want to invest in software or you don't want to learn and I have to create a PDF for you, that's the problem. Exactly. Because it's like what we tell students all the time or we should be telling students all the time. I know I do is that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Like I hope, of course, I want to be able to give to this space, but I need to get something out of this as well. Like you're above me. I'm looking for a mentor. I'm looking for someone who supports me. I can support this firm. I'm looking for that type of relationship, especially if I'm Again, during that time, it wasn't like a black, like I'm looking for a black firm because that is like a very new thing. I kind of keep trying to tell people like this is a new way like of like locating and trying to find us. And like now it's coming together in this way. It was not happening in 2008 when I was in school. Right. So whoever it is, whatever it is, I want to get something out of it. And I've found that going about my internships that way has led me to the right people. I don't have many, I actually don't have any bad experiences from my first internship to my last position. It was amazing. And I think you have to kind of filter out that noise as well. Like, again, the names don't always mean great experience. You have to also understand the type of experience you want as you're going through this profession. And then you can get what you need out of it to accomplish your goals along this, you know, this long journey. Because one of my favorite mentors told me that, you know, when he reached out to me to work with him, he was like, I want you to crescendo. Like, I don't want you to get burnt out. Like, I want you to continue to be here. And you have to find people that understand like, okay, she's serious about he, she, he is serious about what they want to do here. How can I help them? How can my firm help them? How can they help me? Like you want that type of relationship. And I think that going about it that way very early on helped me establish that. Do you think your experience would have been different if you went to a PWI? I know you went for grad, but that fundamentals. Yes, I know it would have been different. And I mean, look, maybe not, but I know that I am happy that I did go to my HBCU. I, although I'm from Houston, I'm from Missouri City, Texas. 
And um, <laughs> and so it's like, you know, what, 10 minutes outside of Houston. But with Houston is a different thing. Just for the listeners, right? She did this little pop the <laughs> shoulder thing where she said where she was from. I don't know what that means. I guess I have to be from there to understand. I love my Mo City. Shout out to my Mo City crew. So it's very mixed culture. I had a lot of white black like it's it's very mixed i didn't come from just like an all black so it was a culture shock a little bit when i went to FAMU. not because i wasn't around that many black people before i heard people say that but it's it was more so that i and this is my path specifically i went to an hbcu but the architecture program was not all black see because florida state does not have an, an architecture and engineering program they are like merged in with FAMU. So our school was the most diverse. It wasn't just like the black school, right? So because I had a mixture, I felt like I had a little bit of of introduction into architecture, right? Like we had only a very few black professors. Most of them were not black. So although I was at this HBCU, I could hear experience as a HBCU student, but I was very much in in architecture. I think that the staff is black, but the pro- the actual studio professors, I've I had one, Wells Bowie. <laughs> and she will remind you, baby, I didn't get my degree from HBCU. That's what she used to tell us all the time. Yes, she would tell us all the time. So again, that's why I said that first year where it's like, you know, do you know what you're doing? It's really like, no, you need to get with it or, you know, so we didn't get to slack. It wasn't like any of that, but the beautiful part of FAMU at that time and that era of which we were coming in, like 2008 was when everyone who graduated in 2008 was hit with the world. It wasn't nothing going on, you know? So they were training us to be designers. Like we didn't have the, the um, technology, like we only had the wood shop, we was cutting, we was, we were taught how to design without tech. And that became my biggest benefit when I went to a PWI. Only two of us, it was me and another friend who came from FAMU who went to FIU that year. And we were the only ones using Revit at the time. No one else. And and the PWI was using Revit because they were using Rhino. They were using Maya. They were all in the other side of this architecture realm in regards of BIM modeling. And so... It was nervous. Like, I was nervous when I went to FIU. I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to stand as I was standing and went through FAMU, brought myself up from the ground up, thinking that I'm like, okay, I got a little something. I didn't feel that confidence as soon as I got there. But this is where you have to trust, trust your ancestors, trust your process. Because again, that first pinup, it was a larger group of us. And they picked, I think, like, they were, they were going around to pick three students from each studio to present. And I got picked. And so I'm like, okay, I can't stand up in this realm because then after everyone was like, what program are you using? And how did you design this? So like, like I'm a sketcher, builder, presenter. That is my that is my specialty. And I was able to hold that from what I was taught at FAMU. They really made you hold on to like those presentations. What does this look like? Because we didn't have that technology, they taught you how to design. So I'm confidently saying that I feel like my path would have been very different. I wouldn't have met um, Michael Lingerfeld. FAMU is in the Capitol. So that legislative day that we go where we're lobbying for the bills every year in January, 
I just I wouldn't have had this like that particular experience where I met Michael Lingerfeld and then coming and like it it just I don't, I don't think it would have been the same. So yeah, I, I definitely think and I purposely knew that I did not want to get my master's at an HBCU. I wanted to go to PWI. I wanted an HBCU degree first and then go get my PWI because again on paper. I don't want you to have to say nothing about me, okay? I checked it all off. So again, that planner side of me was like, no, I'm definitely going to HBCU first. But I knew that it once I wanted to continue my education, it wouldn't be at a HBCU. Let's talk about some of your passions. So on your website, on the Neighborhood Architect website, and when you click on who is Terry Watson, one of the things that stood out to me was Bridging the gap between the profession and the public. I feel like there's a story behind this. What What is the story? The story is that no, don't nobody know what we do. That mm. is the story. It is so annoying. I tell people all the time, like, I say this in the most humble way. We are architects. Like, just in general, architects are the closest thing, should be the closest thing next to God, because we are actually building this world for humans, right? And if you practice well, you should have a great space, a great environment. But no one knows what we are. Like you, I ask you all the time, what do architects do? I don't know, structure? No, we don't do that. Like, you know, so I, and it's, it's very unfortunate because a lot of communities, neighborhoods, a lot of them can thrive a lot better if they understood where the source is, who are, who are the people that, the resources, who are those that can help them build their communities and pick the right people to help them big, build their communities. It's just as much as I want to go to this type of doctor, like know who you want to go to, like know who these people are. So I just, it's so unfortunate because everywhere you go, your house, your grocery store, your library, your schools, your church, your Wherever you go every day or you leave one structure and go to another, it was designed by an architect. Why does no one know what it is that we do? Why is it that there's all these conversations, especially very recently over the past, what, three, four years or even beyond these conversations of buying back the block and da, 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 da. none of my black architects are getting those jobs. To So what what are we talking about? Why is it? And I mean, just going down this rabbit hole, you know. I tell people, especially now, developers are running the infrastructure. They are not trained to do so. They're trained to flip and get money, but they are not trained to sustain communities and neighborhoods. And so it's really trying to show people like it's literally enough of us in everyone's neighborhood, which is where the neighborhood architects was birthed. It's not just me. I am an architect in my hood. All right. That's what I do. Now, if you need something over there, my homegirl, Melissa, (laughs) you call her. Like call James Garrett, call like we're so spread out. We're everywhere in little realms, but also at the same time, it's bridging the gap between ourselves as well, because it wasn't until 2020 when we start to see each other. That's what I'm telling people. This is a very, very, very new thing of like us getting together and knowing each other and seeing who we are. Like that 2020 era of us having to go online is where we started to see like, oh, wait, he's a dope architect like up north. Like, and it's like, okay, but why haven't I never met this guy before? Like, why haven't I seen him? Or like, why don't I know any black engineers? Why am I not consulting with black engineers? It's a thing to like bridge the gap for everyone as well, though. Like, 
How can we help each other on projects? How can we help communities on projects? How can we let them know we are from places just like them and that we can help build like for them versus all these other things. So that was definitely the thought process behind like bridging the gap and just bringing awareness because there is none. There's people love architectural aesthetics. They have no idea what architecture is. How did you know that what was like, wait a minute, were you in school at the time or were you like working? Like when was this? No, it was working. It's working in the profession. Like even, I mean, just on all realms, like you can come in, work with a client. They don't know how to read drawings. There's also just a lack of understanding how to go through the process of architecture and like what it is that they want. It's just, it's so many things that hit this light bulb as I was practicing over, I would say the first two years. It's just like, why don't y'all know this? And I guess it's, again, it's just that I feel like it's a lack of respect a a little bit within our profession. It's the client wanting to control the process, understanding that that hurts them in the end. It's like really trying to educate so there is good architecture, because a lot of times we have to sacrifice what architecture is to meet the client's needs. And it's until you really have architects who want to practice architecture and like kind of put not not like put their foot down a little bit like, you know, no, this is why we do this. This is this is like give them that learning lesson as they're going through this project. It's like the profession suffers. And it's like, how do we stop the profession from suffering? How do we get to do these great projects with clients who can then have this experience and understand what architects do? How do we just make this full circle? And because it it happens no matter what you are, who you are, it, it happens in every firm. And so it was just that experience of seeing like nobody really knows what we do. And of course, then, you you know, the moment you tell someone you're an architecture, oh, my God, you're an architect. Like, yeah. So why are you so amazed? Because you don't know what I do. You're amazed because you've, ne- you've never met anyone that does what I so. You just you know that they don't know. You see it in our world. You see it in our development. You see it all over. And it's, we are very passionate about our profession and the things that we've learned to help the environment. So it definitely came from experience. In school, I didn't I didn't feel that. But once I got into traditional practice and in the real world, it's like no one no one understands our day to day. So what do you think are some of the solutions to this problem besides fixing your website? I think architects have to want to practice architecture. There are a lot of firms, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, but there are a lot of firms that are operating at draftsmen, especially in our culture. I'm sorry. You're only draftsmen. I'm telling you, I turn down every project like that, even when I'm consulting with a bigger firm. There are plenty of times where they're like, hey, we have this project. And again, it's having that control because I'm not your employee. I'm not taking on that project. I'm sorry. If it's no designing involved, Get the get the lower the person that's just like junior architect to do that. That's their experience. That's their learning lesson. Oh, they want that MBE too. Yeah, you know I've seen from those who do very well in practice, and I've watched a lot of documentaries on our um, star architects, right, Stephen Hall or things like that, who are not black or african-american or bipoc, but they say it all the time as well. Is like you know there's a certain respect that their clients have. So if they come to them, the client says, you know, I want a house. And they say, okay, give me four months. That client says, okay, because they respect that person as a designer, as an architect, 
we have to stand on that as well. And the profession, just the profession in general has to stand on that so that people can understand what it is. I am not your Jasmine. There is, we build literally trying to help the environment survive. You know, we are building machines. The building is a machine and to operate in this ecosystem in this whole world, there's a, like literally there's skills, critical thinking. There's a lot that goes into this. And if you don't, stand on your profession, which is, like I said, building for this environment, but also the health, safety and welfare of our public, you're not going to have good architecture and you're not going to have citizens understand the importance of our practice. So I feel like sometimes, and this is, again, something that my mentors have told me, like you have to price accurately. You have to make sure you explain that contract accurately so that the people understand what it is that we do. Because Zaha said it best, that they don't go to their doctors telling their doctor how to how to give them medicine and heal them. You don't go to your lawyers telling them how to get you out and not serve jail time. You cannot come into the architecture profession telling us how to build. That is our specialty and that is what we do, but we're here to do it for you in the best way possible that makes sense. We want you to have this dream house. We want you to have this this new construction building for your business. We we're going to design it for you. You have to they have to trust that. But I think that they don't trust the process. There's so much early on HGTV that's unreal and all of these other things that they see that to compare and contrast the two is night and day. It's not like you have to have a real experience with a real architect, someone who is really care about the environment, the world, humans to have that experience. And I think there's just not enough of those (laughs) in the world. Yeah. You said a lot right there and I just Mm. want to pick apart, but I'm going to move on and talk about your use of media. One thing I love about, again, going back to the neighborhood architects is your use of media. You use video, you have your products listing, your your shop or yeah, your your merchandise, the quality of it. You have the drafting box. And I was just looking at it mm-hmm. and just from the cinematography to the actual construction. I don't have it with me. I didn't buy that. <laughs> but <laughs> but just from just looking at it, it's, wow, this is beautiful. And you mentioned it before that you wanted to go into video. It's I think publication wise, also your socials. I feel like you've foreseen something. I just want to give props to that. Because I haven't seen, I shouldn't say I haven't seen it, but it's just just your level. I'm just wow. That's good to hear because I am just (laughs) it's just a natural thing. So I think the best way to describe it is that whatever the neighborhood architects looks like that year is something that I'm working on in my personal life in Mm. regards of of a skill. I have about 10 film cameras, right? Literally just film cameras because I love film. I have a video. I have an eight millimeter film camera like video that I hope to do for the neighborhood architects as well. Right. So what you see in regards of the media is one the emotional side of like what it is that this brand wants people to feel and get out of our world and what we try to give back on in regards of architecture. And so it's more so of like, how can I capture this feeling? How can I not be so bland in regards of like architecture, how people, like I said, people love architectural aesthetic. So it's like literally merging the urban side from a real life perspective and So I just 
capture it as the best way that I can, that I feel like I can. I use whatever I can, but I want to highlight our profession within multiple medias. I want us, our names to get in multiple spaces. And that is where that impact comes because I feel like us as architects, we just talk to each other. We highlight each other very well in our worlds. We know who each other are, but I'm not going to hire you, Melissa. I'm sorry. Like I, like I need to celebrate you, but I need to get your name out to other people so that they can do that. So you can build. So how can my brand as a neighborhood architect highlight these neighborhood architects in the way that is received from people who don't know about architecture? And so this is like kind of my way of trying to do it and having these publications that I design cover to cover to make sure that feeling is there. How do I then create these these niche pieces that no one else is doing in regards of like objects and and that are beautiful, that are graphically designed and all of these things? How do I do that? How do I get these apparel and this merch out to people who aren't architects? So because they love us, they love architecture so much how can you then start to rep our culture? And so I think that's what I'm trying to capture, you know, and that is what I keep in mind as I put it out. Um, even with our latest campaign, The Hood Hustles Harder, where I captured the culture um, that we all share of the corner store and capturing my homeboys, you know, just literally standing on the corner, doing what they do all the time. But everyone in that campaign are big, big artists here. You know, so it's like that's where they come from, but they're also in the high like this realm. So it's like, how do we relate to each other from this neighborhood culture that we are building as architects that we can help everyone from our cousin to, you know, whatever. How This is I try to give that feeling in anything that I put out so that it's heartfelt. It's like not fake. It's literally the culture that I come from and that everyone relates to. So it's just small tangibles and also things that I'm trying to work on, um, whether it's film photography, film video, aesthetics, craft. It's a mixture of, of everything because they're all architectural tangibles. It's everything that we've learned in our educational path, graphics and all of those things. Talk a little bit more about the Hood Hustles Harder campaign. Yeah, that campaign, we're in like a... Um, not a rebrand, but like a relaunching in regards of like understanding some of the new things that we're doing. And so we're going to do a lot of more apparel. And I wanted really to, again, take it to the streets a little bit to show like we're always going to stay within our culture. But this campaign specifically focused on where do we come from? How can we take our regular activities that are sometimes looked at within our neighborhoods as bad behavior, but it's more so of like, we are actually people who like to be out and we get up early. You'll see people walk into that corner store very early. They're not sleeping. They are up. They're ready to start their day. Like they're having conversations, not just like, there's a lot that happens in the corner store. Like, and these conversations are about entrepreneurship. They're about the family. They're about planning. They're about even things that you go through, like that are maybe something that happened at the corner store the other day that wasn't so good. Like there are a few things that are that happen on this block in this particular location in every single neighborhood. And again, there can be a bad judgment if you're not from this type of area. 
where you just see these people hanging out there is that's it's you know so it was trying to bring a new light to like a black boy joy type of thing which is why it was only guys in this campaign and it was the video was like me walking up as as someone with my background right who went to college came back but i'm still gonna pull up to the store and see my homeboys laugh with them and then go show up at this meeting like it's no matter who you are that's what that campaign was about and just showing like everybody is hustling for something i don't care where you come from what you're doing right now and everyone everybody kind of comes back home they're going to come back to the block they're going to come back to their original stomping grounds like that's where the heart is you know so i think that's what that campaign was was really trying to show was like that black boy joy that non-judgmental that just like we're all on the same thing no matter what and so you have the hood folio mm-hmm. that you do once a year mm-hmm. so what made you do a publication is it because it's paper and it's like you can tell a story that way it was that the mindset of that so i i really enjoy presentation i think i said that you know so i i know that's one of my really good tangibles i didn't have any problems doing my portfolio at the end of the year people struggle with that i do not <laughs> so it's um also how do we have where how do we get our voices on paper with in a in a digital world where everything is so digital how do we start to time stamp what we're doing through every year or what we want to talk about every year and how do we have a publication that's not filtered like i want us to have something very unfiltered on paper and try to merge it again into these different spaces so First, again, it's I think the good part about the brand and it being in in its earlier years is that you all are seeing an evolution of things happening. The first issue was a newspaper. And that idea was, okay, we're in a neighborhood. Like, how can we get to like throw newspapers on everybody's like like back in the old school days? Right. So that first issue, uh, that inaugural issue, I dedicated to everyone who kind of was like, located and shown on our map on our website Um, we have a map that helps people locate their neighborhood architects so everyone who was on that map within my first six months of launching i dedicated that first issue to them so again that was just to bring awareness of who they are everyone got one spread a qr code that takes them directly to like where they are people can locate them and that one was given out so when it was time for me to do the the issue last year it was like it gotten I had this big idea of uh, what's your issue what was the name of that one. And it was like, what is everybody's issue? Because I'm so sick. of Like we all have these problems, but no one's talking about it. Like Architectural Digest is not talking about this. Like all of our architecture magazines aren't talking about us and what we're going through and the other side of how we are even affected by things that are happening in the world that we see we can help. And no one's asking us for help or we don't even know. Like, it's just, and even within our own organization. So as I had this idea and now I've, I've had this design, these contents and how I wanted to lay out, it became too big for a newspaper. <laughs> so I had to make it actually now. I'm like, okay, now I'm actually doing like real publications. So that just developed over time. And it had this concept. Again, I designed this thing cover to cover by myself. It's my way of also getting out that art side of me that graphic side of me it's so basically like tna is my tangibles like what i really don't get to do in the profession outside of construction documents you know but th- that issue is is definitely meant for 
our voices to be heard outside of interviews or things like that, that gets, you know, in the digital world that a lot of us are doing. How can I now get Melissa's podcast in paper so that when someone is sitting, those who do read, like, how can I get that in there? So it's also a test to see how many people care about our voices. Like there's plenty of spaces that I've tried to get it in. And surprisingly, and I'm going to say this on the record, surprisingly, a lot of the Black bookstores has turned down this publication. But a lot of the big, yes, yes, some ones in LA, some, there's some bigger that I'm thinking like, yeah, but it's so much, they don't, again, it's that test, right? Of like seeing how many people understand us because they don't understand the aesthetic literature. They only want, like they have high-end, like just text-based literature and they would not accept this book. But the moment some I brought it to the ICA museum, it, like they took it immediately. And so it's really funny to see how this happens. It's just seeing, okay, well, where are our voices wanting to be and who is understanding us? And so in every issue, I take that in as well, you know, and trying to have things to talk about. But it's definitely is being birthed and evolving over time. Issue three will be coming out in January. This one is called Under New Management. There goes the neighborhood. So, yeah, we're continuing to do these publications and I, I don't think it will stop. Unfortunately, I am trying to find a way to do the to still do the newspaper now that it's like not there because I really want to figure out how can I get, you know, local newspapers in these areas where our, our neighborhood architects are because that radius of being able to people to locate them is also another way that, you know, that can help. But yeah, the publications are definitely meant to be on paper and meant to spread in, in that way. Two things that you said. One, it seems like you have to be white famous first in order for Black people to, <laughs> to, to, to get Black people's attention. It's really weird. Yeah. And then the second thing is we need you in D.C. in the DMV. I think because, you know, formerly Chocolate City mm-hmm. and this whole like gentrification thing that that's like even a newspaper thing yeah i don't know how miami's public transportation is but with our our subway systems called the metro and i remember when i used to commute we used to get the express papers the washington post but in a condensed form it's about like Mm. i don't know eight pages max and it's just a summary of the washington post so that you know by the time you, you get on the train or the bus, mm. um, you get to your commute half hour, 20 minutes, you're done reading the paper and then moving on. So when you were talking about the newspaper, that's the first thing that came to my mind. It's something short and that you read during your commute. Mm-hmm. So every morning someone would pass this stuff out. I was like, wow, like we really need something like that in our area to talk about our things because there's nothing there's absolutely yeah. nothing and it's it's discouraging and so I realized a couple of things right and I wanted to step back from the associations like from AIA I haven't been active in Noma for quite a while but just step back from that because like you said before about bridging the gap between this profession and the public I feel that the only way I could truly do that is align myself with community organizers or people who are serving the community and have like resources to 
let people know that architects do exist. A Black person built that building. Like, knowledge is not there, and it's so desperately in need of that around here. People would eat that up, especially Black people. Black people would love to learn history like that. Just this knowledge. And this knowledge is power. Yeah. But... These institutions that I pay membership to don't do that. We're so busy talking to ourselves, stroking our own egos, and say that we engage the community where we did the bare minimum with that. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us are getting getting to the point where we realize, like, these organizations take a lot of time, a lot of planning efforts and planning for ourselves. And at what point are we going to put these planning efforts for our communities and for the issues like, you know, NOMA should be the hub for, for people to come to, right? Like, but they don't even know about NOMA, you know, and you can't even get AIA to respect NOMA. Like, it's, it's like, it's a lot that happens that within the bigger institution that those are problems that we can't solve. So it's like, I do have to step out on my own to just reach what's in my arms reach or like what I can give off. It's, you know, they say you have to change yourself before you change the world. Like I'm going to have to then say, this is what I'm about so that people can navigate to me and then I can leave them there maybe. But it takes a lot of energy to be on in these other institutions and you know, recently, I've, I mean, I am coming up on my ending of my board position, you know, and I don't see myself getting on the board again because I am or not again, but in the near future, because there are a lot of works that I am passionate about that I'm not able to do within this realm. And sometimes you also I mean, just to be honest, you also sometimes don't always feel supported in these bigger institutions that you are bringing recognition to them as individuals, as organizations, you know, it, it's like we're creating our own problems and living in our problems and then also trying to solve those problems, but not addressing those problems. I don't know if that made sense, but it's like all of these things made perfect sense. So you then have to step back because again, we are in a very demanding field. So what do I do with this extra time? How do I be really intentional about my passion in this extra time? Because let's be real, our extra time is architecture because we live and breathe it. So how am I going to make sure that I am fulfilled at the end of this quarter, end of this year, as I look back? It's a lot of planning that goes and effort that goes into those institutions. And it's unfortunate when you have great people like yourselves and even other people who have said, like, right now, I'm just not involved. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a NOMA conference. Don't get me wrong. I love a good NOMA conference. Anybody who follows me. You and me both. I recently started going again. And, you know, I miss, I miss the fellowship. I miss, you know, running people I haven't seen. Like there are people that I don't only see at NOMA conferences, right? Because we're Mm -hmm. not in the same area or whatever. And it's just, it's good fellowship, good people. Everybody's there willing to learn and And you get the motivation like you get so much like it's like a recharge you know it is a recharge it's just unfortunate that every it seems like the other things are draining until you get to that (laughs) but it's it's a great recharge because you get to see people's projects you get to see the new license you know you see your people get licensed like one of my 
dear brothers got licensed this year it was a great experience for him you know you have fun you you party you like like tiffany said if you can't get up early you can't stay out with us you know so <laughs> right. it's like you know like it's a it's a homecoming you know it is a true homecoming but it's like how do we how do we push like have this momentum all the time within and or not i mean all the time is a stretch right like this wishful thinking because we are, we do have a job but it's again how do we keep the motivation like how do we feel that within these institutions you know how do we not feel like once we leave we're on our own again i think that's what we're missing and a lot of us want are those who are kind of stepping back or just you know, trying to figure out how to how to be involved because um, we definitely we want the support. You know, how are you doing? You do a lot, and <laughs> I don't want you to burn out. How do you recharge yourself? How do you take a breather? Do you even take breathers? Like, is this the new thing that I'm telling you? Like, no, people think that. So I do do a lot. I really do. Between the path that I'm on now, which is a secret, I, I am a research assistant, but there is something bigger happening that I have not told. So, but I have these, a lot of things going on and I'm learning to, even with TNA, like I have a manager now, she is great. Shout out to Zaria Alexander. So she's great. She's teaching me like the business side of things, like how to be more structured, how to do things with intention. Like I'm a creator, right? I tell her all the time, she's like, well, you're, you're a creative director. Like, I'm like, no, I'm a creator learning to be a creative director. You know, like there's so much that goes involved. Big difference. Big, big difference. difference, right? Like I just bop around. Like you're saying like the, you, you brought up the drafting supply box. Like I did that two years. I did that before TNA was launched. I just put it out. So I have so many things that I haven't released because it's just been me. But now I'm learning to be an adult, be a professional. And one day, this is just like random, but one day I pulled over as I was driving, I was leaving the lab and I just pulled over and I said, I'm an adult. Like, <laughs> and I, I was just You've like- You've been an adult for a while, man. Like, <laughs> I've been an adult for a long time, but I am now in this chapter where I'm like, I am a professional. I'm learning to be a, really an entrepreneur. Like, not just like, the easy entrepreneur that I was getting to check every two weeks. I am now a real entrepreneur and a professional and like, you know, so I had to pull over because that day everybody was asking for me and I'm like, I'm they're asking me because they have to ask me like I am this. So it was a, it hit me. And so the way that I balance is really building my team now. Um, so that I can offload everything that I was touching that I'm trying not to do that in one realm in the other realm, it's like I'm, that time management of in the chapter I'm in now is learning these new skills of higher, 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 higher technology and science and making sure I put a cap on that, though, as well. And I go outside. Everyone who does know me or follow me knows that I am an outside girl. I kayak. I will jump out of a plane. I will do anything almost once. I'm very, very nature oriented. So that is my balance. And I do sleep. I sleep like I get so happy when I'm walking my door. I get I, <laughs> you look at that bed and then you just I hop in the bed like that is I'm telling you that is my number one like favorite thing to do. I would get in my house and hop in my bed. So I do sleep often. People think I don't sleep. They think I do. I really do. I have a weird schedule though, which kind of 
I'm trying to learn to do. I, I operate best throughout the night. So, you know, again, that studio vibe, I have to have quiet. I have to feel like I'm in like a cave and get into that creative mode because of the type of critical thinking that we have to do. It's just like, I don't really, I can't do distractions, but I've found my workflow and it works for me. And I find that happiness of balancing between the professional life and the personal life, which is like, I do travel a lot. People know that as well. I will pop around and see my best friends. I will pop out of the country. I will, I go to Mexico a lot. If you see me in Mexico, that is my relaxation time. I am laid out, sleeping, laid out, eating, sleeping, lay out, sleeping. Like that is the, <laughs> that is the routine. You know, I bike in the mornings, like Mexico has been my, my recharge. So what part of Mexico? I'm a Tulum girl. Go to Tulum, oh. straight to Tulum. I know. Cause it's a, it's easy for me to fly to Cancun from Miami. Mm-hmm. Super, super easy. So I, I balance well in regards and I, and my body will shut down on me if I'm if it's feel is doing too much. Cause I, I tell people that is my flaw. My flaw is I don't know when I've had enough. I, I just like keep rolling. But my body will shut down on me. So either way, even if I wanted to, I'm my body gonna make sure I'm okay. <laughs> so I work out a lot too. I make sure I do uh I, I go to the gym at least two or three times a week for two hours. So I balance well when I say that I don't mean just like balancing my work. I mean I balance my personal and my health and my professional. Like there's times where I have skipped lab to go to the gym if mm-hmm. I have not been. You know, I'm I'm that person. So I have a boundary that I don't think that's what people don't see. I mean if you follow my stories, you see that. But like, other than that, I don't put that part out. But my personal life is very balanced within this professional life. So that's great. I love to hear that. Yeah, this reminds me. So I went down this rabbit hole. So during Black Friday, you know, these streaming services has these deals, right? And so you can get Peacock for like $6 a year, some, mm. some ridiculous number, right? So I went and I subscribed to Peacock for a year. And so I'm like scrolling, like, let me check this, let me check this out. And they had this, this thing called Paris in Love, you know, Paris Hilton mm-hmm. as a reality show. And this is like, oh, second really? Story. Yeah, right. And so you're like, Melissa, why are you looking at this? Well, <laughs> I was, I was, at first I was watching some Christmas movies because I like stupid stuff, right? Like, I just, I don't want to think, I don't want to, I want a happy yeah. ending, you know, mm-hmm. they fall in love and it's snowing. Like, I love that stuff. <laughs> So I'm watching the this, you know, Paris and love thing and she's doing all these things. And I started thinking like she has her own media company. She has a podcast. She decided to put out an album. She was launching a clothing line. She's doing this. She's doing that. And I'm like, that's a lot of stuff. What is her net worth? She's worth three hundred million dollars. Right. OK, so she can afford to do all these things. And yeah. in the show, she's like stressing out. She's like, I'm I'm so busy. Like, I'm so busy. And all she does is play dress up all day, right? <laughs> and then she goes in the studio and she sings. And then she's like, I'm going to have a concert. And so she has a concert somewhere <laughs> in LA at this theater or whatever. And then she's like, it's sold out in like five minutes. I'm like, who's buying these tickets? <laughs> Who's who buying these tickets? And so... She's like, yeah, I only had a month to learn this choreography. And, you know, she's just holding the mic and they just directing her and whatever. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, right, this is what money can buy. Because for us, 
we're all stressing out. We're like, how do we get the venue? Yeah. How do we get the choreographer? How do we get these dancers? Set design. Who's like doing the set design? Like all this stuff. And she's like, she has a team yeah. that does all this. And is she losing money by doing this? You know, they don't talk about the realities. Yeah, of that. yeah. You know, or even her podcast. So I'm like curious because, you know, podcast here. And she is sponsored by iHeartRadio. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, who are her guests? You know, her sister, her mother, a bunch <laughs> of other influencers. And then randomly she had Tiffany Haddish on there. I'm like, what is Tiffany Haddish doing on there? Like, what's oh, going she on? Need, like, she needs, because she needed at this point. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. And so I say all this because first I was just jealous. I was just jealous because she <laughs> has a production team and then she has a co-host sometimes that actually carries the show, or carries the podcast, I should say. Because I listened to like one episode and her mm. episodes are random. She has 15 minutes, an hour, 20 minutes, five minutes. Mm. Like their times are random, but that's probably con- contractual with iHeart. You have to, right. because of the sponsors and stuff. It's not fair. Like <laughs> I am a one person show, right? Yeah. Like this recently, I was able to afford um, someone else editing these things, but yeah. it's still, you know. No, it's very much your umbrella. Like, and you are spreading all your arms and legs to cover all of these things that are needed to get production out, get things out. And, you know, I think that's where. Oh, we aren't, I say like we aren't taught these things or whatever the case is, like whatever, but it's like the power in the other person's dollar is very, very important. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm just now learning these things and we're like, how can I get my brand even to be sponsored or how do I get these other people? Because again, y'all love architecture. Y'all love it. Y'all love it so much. Oh my gosh. Why aren't y'all supporting, you know, why aren't you supporting these podcasts? And again, I'm not going to say these podcasts. I'm sorry. Why aren't y'all supporting Arches Polly? Because it is one of the only podcasts that are talking about architecture in the way that it needs to be talked about. You're not just highlighting people. You're talking about issues and you're talking about it with people who are either helping those issues or or addressing them or can address like. Why aren't we being able to be recognized? And again, it's because people don't know who we are and they don't know what we do. And I learned this in, it was 2020, 2020, 2021, um, when I first started advertising in studio. I was a vendor in Atlanta and it was like a black women's vendor event or something. And I was the only person there selling myself. Everybody else was selling their vegan nail polish or their jewelry and everybody walked out with some money and not me but my table was the fullest because they're never seen an architect before so I feel like the more we put ourselves in these regular spaces is when you'll start to get these sponsors and these people because they don't they just don't know where to find us we are very very good at being introverts because we are we can sit on our computer all day we don't have to be outside for real, you know, but that is what also harms us a, a little bit in the progression that we even want in our individual paths. And so I think the more we put ourselves in these spaces where her podcast is and things like that is where you can start, to, where we get to start to get that influence and that breather of being able to be stressed out by getting dressed up every day. You know, I think 
we can we can have that too. It just we, one we weren't we weren't born into it, so it looks a little different. And and two, we are in one of the toughest professions to get across to the normal people. So we have a like a kind of double edged sword there, especially when you don't come from something like bigger institution, yeah, like hotel chain, you know, yeah, like that that money, you know, that old money, that, <laughs> that old, old money, right? That old, that old money got a lot of a lot of that their status is up. So I think you know, but I learned that early on and which is although that was the only time I I did it I did get business out of it I got projects out of that you know so it's us learning not to or learning to get in those spaces and like you said maybe that time isn't spent at AIA conferences it's spent at another podcast conference or these other rounds because it does just as bit if not a bigger influence on the profession any last words Ooh, no, I appreciate being here. I love I, I can't say it enough that I love your podcast. I, I said this story to you, but I'm gonna put it on the record that I first met you when you were a speaker at um Abehe and uh Kyra's event. And I remember you being on the on the call and everyone they they asked, you know, what are you what are your goals? And everybody on there said, I want to be a licensed architect. I want to get a licensed architect. And you were like, I don't know what I want to do. And I said, oh, yes, I love her. <laughs> I was like, yes, because again, I think people always feel like, you know, that's just the only way. And there are bigger, bigger passions, you know, and it's okay to have that. And I, you, you gave an explanation that was basically your explanation. Like, I don't know, like, I'm not really fulfilled. I'm fulfilled, but I'm not. And I want to do some other thing, you know? So in that moment, I was like, yep, huge fan, huge fan. And I was already listening to your, the things that you were doing, but it just elevated. So my, my last word is that I am just as geeked out and, and a huge fan of you. I think the work that you do is very niche as well. As much as I know that there are a lot of podcasts out there, I think I hope you know how niche you your brand is and you are because you are a one-on-one in that realm. So that's just my last words. Um, thank you. I was hoping your last word, I'm doing this project. I'm doing Absolutely that project. Not. Like, <laughs> Y'all know, you, now you know you know about me at this point I, tr- I don't even do that like I mean I can if you want me to but that if I had to choose my last words those are my last words by choice mm-hmm. thank you so much oh yes. wow I can't believe an hour plus has flown by so I know I know I know it's such a pleasure talking to you I know it took a while for us to get here but I'm glad we're here and oh, I can't wait to meet yeah. you again either at a NOMA conference or some other random thing. Listen, I'm going to always be at AIA conferences as much as possible. And definitely I'm never missing a normal conference. So I will always be, <laughs> I will always be at the homecoming. So yes, we will see each other soon. I think it's up north. It's in Baltimore next year. It is in Baltimore. Yeah. My area. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'll be there. I'll be, I'll be up there, but I hope we get to connect to and thank you for letting me interview you for issue three so oh yeah that's that's right i forgot about yes. that it's been a while it, it was a long time ago oh, yeah. it has been a while it has been a while but it's it, issue three will be out in january so I can't wait can't wait to share and brag and, and tell people buy this 
page 32. I know. Read page 32. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm very excited about this one. All right. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for tuning in to Architecture's Political Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it informative or at least entertaining. If you like what you heard, please share with others. You can also connect with Arcus Polly on social media, currently on Instagram, as well as Facebook and Twitter. If for more information, visit us on our website. It's arcuspolly.online, A-R-C-H-I-P-O-L-L-Y dot online. I also want to thank our loyal supporters who have been with this podcast for at least three years. It means the world to me, and I'm totally grateful to have you part of this community. I will try to bring you the best content as possible, and I can't wait to share more amazing episodes with you. If this is your first time listening or just like a particular episode or all of them, you can support this podcast by going on glow.fm slash arcuspoly. Again, thank you for your support. It means the world to me. And thank you so much for listening.